Okay, everybody, welcome back to another episode of one of these years, our Detroit Lions podcast here on The Athletic. We're actually not quite on The Athletic, but either way, good enough. I'm, of course, Nick Baumgartner with Chris Burke after Chris. This one felt um, felt like I don't know what else we need to see here. I think was kind of the, the result, and it's been like that, you know, for a couple weeks, but this one really, in a lot of ways, for a number of reasons, as we'll discuss, it, you know, it really wasn't one thing. Uh, for a number of reasons, it's it's becoming more and more difficult to sort of see this plan that Matt Patricia and Bob Quinn, you know, collectively have put together. It's just it's just being it's more and more difficult by the day to see this thing ever finding a way, especially on offense. And a lot of things went into this, and we'll get into all of it. But I guess just maybe your first thoughts on what we watched and sort of um, you know where this is headed. Yeah, uh, safe to say this is not going to be the year. Um, so yeah, <laughs> I guess right. we can run the podcast yeah, right. back next year. Uh, Good point. Yeah, yeah I mean, it was uh, it was sort of uh, it was almost perfect that Chris Spielman was on the call for that game, frankly, uh, because yeah. he sounded as exasperated as all the Lions fans on Twitter yeah, right. and every like just watching it. Like, how many times in that game did he say? you're still playing for your playoff lives and like oh, yeah. somebody uh, make a play like he just was even yelling it end, over yeah. and over again yeah. and um yeah. and no one did i mean they i guess they had the couple right. of end zone interceptions but that basically saved you from being losing 34 to nothing instead of 20 to nothing and uh yeah it just none of it worked at all from the very start and i think it's you know they they're obviously banged up, but it, it can't you, you can't use that excuse when you're playing a team that's down its starting quarterback and down, you know, one of the best players in football and Christian McCaffrey. It just there just wasn't anything. There wasn't anything good out of that game, and when that drops you to four and six, and you know we're two and a half year, two and a half plus years into this regime, like that's that's pretty damning to be at this yeah. point where you just say, well, there isn't a single thing you can hang your hat on from that game and say, all right, that showed progress. Right. And, you know, people would like to focus on the fact that the Lions lost a game to another starting quarterback who non-XFL fans have never heard of. And PJ, PJ Walker, as he made a start for, uh, for Bridgewater there, but really the, the, the thing that lost them the game wasn't the fact that the defense, I mean, they, you know, yeah, PJ Walker hit a couple on him defensively, but, you know, he's 24-34 for 258 with two interceptions. You know, like if your offense has any pulse or any plan at all, and it's supposed to be the strength of your team, and like you said, there's some injuries here, but if your plan wasn't the worst possible plan going into the season at this point, if you had any ability to riff and do something else, maybe you can sort of guide through this. And I think that's where the, the frustration from Spielman sort of bleeds through and I think it bleeds into a lot of the stuff that the fans have sort of thought about as well like like you said Chris he said over and over again you know the situation is what it is forget everything else forget the fact that maybe people don't think you can make it you're four and five playing against a team with backup quarterback and its best player on the bench and you can't do anything you can't you can't do anything and you're in the middle of a really manageable stretch or what should be a manageable stretch you got Thanksgiving coming up against a bad team that's already fired its coach and GM you got winnable-ish games uh, should be winnable and you just can't do anything and that is you know we've reached we've gone beyond the point of well they're they're trying hard and they're playing hard and they're working hard for the staff and they're doing what they're told to the realization and reality of there's just not enough here and it's not going to be enough with this current situation and I don't know if you're Martha Ford 
or I'm sorry if you're Sheila Ford, I'm not really sure how you look at this and see any other way. And it's also to, to a point now where we kind of need to see sort of what their plan is. I mean, maybe not immediately, but we kind of need to know maybe something here. Or the fans maybe deserve it, I guess, is, is the answer. I don't know how that, what the right way to say that is, but it feels like, you know, it's getting to be that time again. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that someone needs to say something. I mean, there needs to be some idea for where the direction's headed because you're one game away from being into December, and that was kind of the cutoff point that they put up, as everyone mm-hmm. has talked about, you know, meaningful games in December. And I think, you know, that that um, – like looking back on it now, that statement to me was almost more damning than the you know everyone points to the Bob Quinn you know this isn't good enough after yeah. they went nine and seven with Jim Caldwell and you know I, I know the uh, looking back on the Jim Caldwell era now as as often right. happens everyone it feels a lot better than it was when yeah. it was in it it's sort of it's <laughs> it like how does. people look yeah. back at you know like look at look at Lloyd Carr now at Michigan mm-hmm. you're like oh my yep. God that guy. <laughs> was unbelievable <laughs> he really was a hall of famer yeah right. and it's this, you know it's sort of the same thing with caldwell you you know especially with you know guys like dan orlovsky and some of the former players being out there saying you know things were going pretty good with jim caldwell but mm-hmm. as we've talked about you know they were you know the last three years he was there they were at 25 and 23 overall the last year they lost to the six best teams on their schedule they didn't win a playoff game they went to the playoffs once like that's not yeah. that's not what you want you want to be better than that and so it made sense to fire him but the the meaningful games in December thing stands out to me as as being more damning about sort of the direction of the franchise overall because you had a guy who was giving you meaningful games in December exactly Jim Caldwell got you meaningful games in December. They didn't get more than that, but you got meaningful games in December, and that wasn't good enough. And so now you kind of, you know, put it back in the exact same spot two and a half years later. And now you can't even get there. And so, yeah, I just don't. Uh, it, it just doesn't seem like any of this is really clicking. And I, I know it's frustrating for people to hear the same thing. I mean, it's frustrating for us to hear the same thing over yeah. and over again. We got to coach better. We got to play better. Like, okay, what is, what are you talking about? What does that mean to you? to go coach right. and play better because they're obviously the execution is just horrible the game plan you know they're getting out coached by I mean that was a, a first year head coach and a first year offensive coordinator starting a backup quarterback that they plucked from the XFL right and they coach circles around them and a lot of it goes back to execution but the Lions offense never looked comfortable against that Carolina defense the Carolina offense did some really good things for PJ Walker and so if you're getting outcoached by those guys and by Matt Nagy on a regular basis and all these things. I mean, I just don't understand where this supposed progress has been. And so, yeah, I mean, there's always a game in these kind of doomed regimes that feels like the breaking point. And that certainly felt like the breaking point. Just, I mean, that was one of the worst Lions performances. I mean, in at least a decade, it's been, (laughs) I mean, that was horrible, just horrible on all in all facets yeah they're in like the worst possible place now and you know as a franchise because they're they're in they're not you know and they're bad let's get let's don't let's not you know get it twisted but they're not so bad that they're going to be a top three you know (laughs) type type pick or whatever uh and they're bad enough to where they're going to be right in that middle of like six and ten seven and nine like at at max out you know they're the best they're going to be is you know average and not good enough which is like oddly enough Sort of where it felt like if you go way back, like 20 years ago, before they hired Millen, 
that's kind of where it was, right? It was like, well, they're making the playoffs and they're losing in the first round and they're like not really doing anything. So let's blow this up and see what happens. And it's like, well, Caldwell made the playoffs a couple times and it wasn't enough. So let's get a new guy in here and see what happens. And it has not worked. It has gone backward. It has gone in the wrong direction. Um, you know, the real issue here, and again, you know, obviously Matt Patricia hasn't done what, you know, he was brought here to do. But Bob Quinn came in here in an awkward situation and made it even more difficult and sort of awkward, but it was also awkward all the way around. And it's like, if you wanted him to go forward with Jim Caldwell, then you shouldn't have hired him. If you wanted to continue forward with Jim Caldwell, you should have hired somebody else. Um, but at the same time, you did hire Bob Quinn. He had a plan. He made it you know, come together, and it hasn't worked. And I don't know how else to sort of look at this. So now we look at this and say... They're entering a short week against, you know, against the clock here, against the Houston team that's now playing a little better, actually. And you say, okay, well, what happens if they get, I mean, before we get into this game, let's just talk about this. What happens if they get, you know, beat again on Thursday? And, and we're getting these questions, like, what's the logical answer? What's the logical move here? And the move at this point, so, sooner than later, I, I still don't know why firing your coach in the middle of the season does much for you. But the general manager and the, and the, and the, uh, the people in charge here, You've got to you've got to look at starting over here. I, I would think sooner than later, or get that process moving because there it's just not going where you want it to go. This is these they made moves to get the roster the way it is right now, and it's not even close. It's not good enough. So you have to look at that and say what reasonably reason. And we've talked about this several weeks. What reasonably would you say to Bob Quinn or Matt Patricia? Like if we say, okay, we're giving you three more years. What's your first move? I don't even know what that would be, right? So that's what we're looking at here when we go into this week and say you know, what should happen. And, you know, that's the question we get from fans so much. And it's it's hard to see any reason why, you know, there wouldn't be significant change probably at the top, top of the organization. And it'll be interesting to see sort of, you know, what the response, if any, is, or, you know, if it's something that they, that they wait and see what happens at the end of the year. Yeah, I mean, I guess if you really wanted to twist yourself around and find a way to excuse Matt Patricia, mm-hmm. I, I mean, I some of these injuries for two years in a row and the pandemic. Like, I feel like if you really, really wanted to squint and try to do that and say, let's just finish out the year and then we'll figure it out. You maybe could do that. The Bob Quinn thing, uh, he inherited what was an all right roster when he came in. It wasn't a Super Bowl contending roster, but again, it was a team that was under Jim Caldwell getting to, you know, seven and nine, nine and seven on a pretty consistent basis. It was a team that was middle of the pack roster. He chose not to continue forward with Jim Caldwell, which, you know, fine. That's his prerogative at that point. Uh, And now he's had three years to build it exactly the way he wanted to build it. And this is the result. And we see, again, you know, I think a lot of that was coaching Sunday. A lot of it was execution Sunday. But as we've Mm -hmm. talked about before, you know, a lot of these positions, they basically have like one guy – who can do exactly what they need to do. And if that guy isn't playing or isn't playing well, they're done. And you take DeAndre Swift out of the lineup and the offense just falls apart. And you take Kenny Galladay out and no one's getting open. And, you know, they lost – they were down Trey Flowers and Deshaun Hand. And, again, like the defense was fine. Like, I don't know. It wasn't great, certainly, but it was fine. It was good enough to win, as you said. So – Uh, I think that a lot of this does go back to roster building, but again, I don't think it matters really at this point. I think there's been enough mistakes on both fronts here that it's really Mm -hmm. tough to see a way forward. And I think even, 
you know, it, it doesn't looking back on it and, and just the way these things sort of go, it's really difficult to do what they did, which is to hire a GM and keep the coach as right. they did with yeah. Quinn and Caldwell, <laughs> because eventually, you know, unless that eventually you're probably going to get to a point where the coach's vision differs from the new GM's vision. And we saw that happen. And then you're kind of starting over with Patricia and now you're three years into that and that's not working either. So, I mean, I think that Quinn's had multiple chances with multiple coaches here. Yeah. Um, and it's like you said, it's just not good enough. It's not even really close to being good enough. Like no. it doesn't, you can't really, you know, the, the, the idea of maybe, maybe seeing major improvement, you know, quote unquote, major improvement this year. Um, as Sheila uh, Fordhamp said when she took over the principal ownership job, like that's what they wanted. Major improvement. They weren't going to yeah. put a wins and losses total on it because it was such a weird year. They're not improved in any no. way. And so, yeah, I mean, I think we're kind of at the end of this. I think when we look back on this, you know, like you said earlier, it's funny how we always do this, right? We look back several years down the road. And I think, you know, if the world is still spinning several years down the road, <laughs> we, we can't take that for granted today. But I think when we look back on this um, whole thing, whenever it's over, uh, you'll look, and it's odd enough, Chris, yesterday was the what, 57 years to the day that when William Clay Ford bought the team. Is that right? Yep. 57? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I think we'll look back on this and say that when, when Bob Quinn was hired, the family, the Ford family was in, you know, as, as, it, as it relates to the Lions, was in a massive state of flux. You know, after William Clay Ford had passed and Martha Ford sort of took over as owner, you know, they made this decision to start a sort of start over and they did it with, I can't say any other way. Looking back, there was no, uh, there was no plan. I mean, they, they literally had to have help from the NFL to come in and navigate a general manager search that resulted in hiring a guy inside of New England scouting department to come copy what New England was doing. That was the plan. And when you look back on that and look at what what's sitting in front of us right now as we look at their situation, it is, and this is what scares the hell out of people in terms of fans, it is impossible to trust Rod Wood to make a decision that is going to turn out well, uh, given his background and given the fact that, you know, he could have helped in that scenario and was unable <laughs> and incapable of right. doing so. Yeah. Uh, and really what it comes down to now is you are now putting everything uh, on the sh- And she's the owner, of course, but you're putting everything on the shoulders of, of Sheila Hampford and hoping that she has, in, in a pretty short time here, had enough time to sort of navigate this you know, really complicated world that is the NFL and coaching and general manager, you know, prospects, all this stuff, what, you know, that often takes folks, you know, a lifetime in football to sort of, you know, perfect. And you're you're putting all of that on, on her and hoping that, you know, she has enough, has had enough time to sort of research what needs to be researched and sort of, you know, sort of get her feet on the ground, get some balance, and figure out how to do this, which maybe she can pull it off. I don't know that she can or can't. We don't really know her that well. But the point is is that it's it's a very inexperienced person running the franchise. There's nothing really to lean back on here. The president of the team is an investment banker. Like, that's what we're talking about here. And, and they're going into a really difficult period where some really hard change feels like it has to happen. And it's tough. It's really tough to trust, you know, the the group, the ownership group uh, to make the right decision. And I know that this is a broken record, but that's, this doesn't feel like a normal, like, well, you got to fire the coach and move on. This feels like 
there has to be some real significant, like, pulling open the hood and looking in, inside here into everything they do in the front office. And I don't know who is supposed to be doing that sort of examination. And you hope, if you're the Lions, you, you would prefer that it's your owner or your owner has been able to hire someone in a football position at a senior level to do that for them or to help them do that. And I got to tell you, from where we're sitting here today, it doesn't seem like the Lions are in position to do that unless Sheila Ford has been able to really nail this thing and, and has a plan that we just don't know about yet and is ready to you know put that forward. That's the only way that this thing works out. If you try to kick the can down the road here, I got to tell you, that's going to be a disaster. I don't know what that's going to do for anyone. So really interesting spot. And for a lot of fans, it's it's very unnerving because, Chris, I don't know. I don't know what to say to them. I don't know what where this goes or what to even guess at, you know, sort of what the end game is here other than it will probably change. But I just don't know what that change is going to look like. Yeah, and that's why I wrote after the game. Like I know, I know what I wrote reads as you got to fire everyone. But I, what I was right. trying to get at was, regardless of what your decision is at this point, you've got to be, you've got to open the doors a little bit and be transparent mm-hmm. about what's happening here. And that was sort of what we were promised, um, even as you know, in in June when when Sheila Fordhamp became the principal owner, it was yeah. with the expectation because of what she said that it was right. going to be more open and she was going to be more po- public facing and, you know, talk to reporters and all that. And she's since declined every request or reporters from the beat, not just myself mm-hmm. have made yeah. to talk to her. She hasn't done right. a press conference and you don't want an owner. I mean, we don't want Jerry Jones here necessarily. Who's of doing pre- post game pressers every Sunday, but yeah, I mean, I think you're at a point where, um, whatever the decision is, there needs to be some sort of explanation for why that decision's happening. And I think if you're going to, you know, wait till after this Thanksgiving day game, and even if you're not firing someone, I think honestly, as you you're saying with the Rod Wood situation, the next step for me, whether it comes in conjunction with firing everyone or just as part of the evaluation process needs to be to bring on somebody as an advisor or something who knows what they're doing, not wait till the NFL is in, February and says, well, here, uh, Ernie, of course, he's not doing anything for the next two weeks. <laughs> right. Let's see what he thinks. Like, I think you need to bring someone in. And I don't know, you know, who that person necessarily is. I'm sure there are people out there um, who uh, you could at least bounce some ideas off. I mean, I threw out in our Slack channel, I mentioned Amy Trask, who writes for us at the oh, Athletic. Yeah, right. was with yeah, the Raiders yeah. forever <laughs> and one of the most respected people in the right. NFL. Like, you need someone like that who's been through this, who's at the top level of this thing who can help you just navigate what's to come and again maybe that's happening maybe Sheila yeah. is doing that and we just don't know because she hasn't let us see into that world at all I mean maybe she's been talking to people this whole time and has a really good idea of where this is headed but until we get some you know some presentation of that plan it just sort of feels like this thing is listless again and and headed towards like you said you know this yeah this sort of uncertainty where it's uh, who's actually, is she making this hire on her own or is somebody going to come in and try and save this at the last minute? And so, yeah, it, it, I'm sure it's difficult for fans to feel confident in, in what's about to happen. Yeah. And it's like, it's funny because that's, that is the hope. And you know, that, you know, and we've, we've read a lot and heard about, you know, a lot about, you know, Sheila in the last year and a half, whatever it's been, that she's a smart person. She's, you know, been paying attention to this stuff for some time, that she's capable of making decisions like this. This isn't somebody who's just like woke up out of bed and decided they're going to run an NFL team, right? So 
you know, you're hoping that there's that level of, you know, critical thinking happening in terms of, you know, pre-planning. And you look at it and you say, okay, look, Rod Wood, Rod Wood came in here and served as president in the, in, in the middle of a situation where, you know, Martha Ford was trying to take this over for her late husband because she wanted to continue this forward because of how much it meant to him. And Rod Wood, a trusted family, you know, whatever, comes in and helps them sort of, you know, transition through all this. Well, you know, if that's all that was, then that's fine. Well, but it's also time to tell Rod Wood, like, okay, well, your your service is no longer, you know, no offense, but like your service in this role is no longer required. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And we're going to go get, you know, a football person to do this. That's what, you know, if you ask me at the top, uh, off the top, like if they go and get beat, you know, 20 to nothing on Thursday, uh, if I had to make an announcement on Friday, if I was Sheila Ford, the first thing I would, I would hope I'd be ready to announce would be that we have a new president. And, you know, I don't care what they say with Bob Quinn or Matt Patricia at that point. It would be, I would like to hear, we have a new president. We have a new football person in charge of everything. This person is going to evaluate our situation. We fully trust this person. I'm, you know, I, Sheila Ford, I'm going to work with this person to determine, you know, both the fate of Bob Quinn and Matt Patricia. And we are going to, you know, determine a way forward together. That's what I would like to hear more than anything. I don't need to hear Matt Patricia has been fired, sent off a fireworks set and, you know, everybody part. No, I don't need because that's not what's the plan. <laughs> right. You know, if the plan right. is, OK, Patricia has been fired. Bob Quinn and Rod Wood are still here. OK, well, that's that's does nothing for me in terms of comfortability of where we're going. Even and, and again, and even if it's, hey, Bob Quinn and Matt Patricia have been fired on Friday, let's say that that happens. If Rod Wood is the person making that announcement, I'm still pretty nervous. I got to tell you because yeah. that's where it has to start for me. It has to start at the top, or we have to hear from Sheila that she's ready to do this. You know, because that's the only other thing that is going to get this done. And it's it's just difficult to see how the order goes here. Like they, it, Chris, it's weird. Like it feels like they need an athletic director. <laughs> like that's what it feels like they well, need. They like almost, somebody. I mean, yeah, you know, I, it sort of reminds me of, and I, I bring them up because they're all the rage in Detroit right now, but the Pistons did this in 2018. Yeah, they did. They hired right. Ed Stefanski to come in and be their, whatever his official title was, yeah, executive right. <laughs> advisor to the owner or whatever yeah. it is. And he basically served as a functioning GM for a couple of years until right. they brought in Troy Weaver, but he was the guy who, you know, they said this isn't working. We need someone mm -hmm. to show it was, you know, Tom Gores was the owner, uh, is the owner, but you know, he said we need someone to sort of figure this out from top to bottom. And they brought in Ed Stefanski, who'd been in the NBA for a long time and knew his way around that world. And he came in and he sort of guided them to where they are now, which is right. at least there's a plan to some yes. extent. I mean, it's a little confusing <laughs> weird, because yeah. they're they're making a trade every 14 minutes, but um, <laughs> at least it feels like there's some semblance of a way forward, and that's the 100%. thing with the Lions. Yeah. There's not until we again until we hear it, and maybe there is. Maybe we just don't know yeah. it yet. And Sheila's been sort of crafting something for the last few weeks here. So where she can come out Friday or after week 17 or whenever this is going to happen and say, all right, well, we're, we're getting rid of Bob. We're getting rid of Matt. Rod's transitioning to the business side of things right. exclusively. Yeah. We're bringing in so-and-so to help us with the search. Like there needs to be a pretty uh, elaborate, you know, like five, six, seven step plan here. Not just, uh, right. we didn't meet our expectations. We've removed Bob and Matt. We'll conduct a search. Well, that just yeah. is just gonna need more than that. Uh, yeah. All right. Well, <laughs> now we're right. You know, we're right back to square one. So, yeah, I'm with you. I think that, um, I think that this needs to be a, a pretty extensive 
look at what they're doing on a, on a day-to-day basis because it clearly, however they got to this point, did not work. The Bob Quinn hiring uh, strategy did not work, and they need to figure out a different way. Right. Yeah, 100%. We're in full agreement on that. We'll see what happens. Um, you know, who knows? You know, maybe maybe they have a rousing win and, you know, she Deshaun Watson's going to throw for like 450, right. man. <laughs> I was trying to convince myself of it and you just ended it right there. But So who knows what will happen Thursday, obviously, and maybe, you know, maybe Sheila will take uh, more time or, or what have you. And, and that's fine, too. I, I, I'd like to say that. I don't think that she's like under some sort of mandate that she has to announce you know the grand plan here friday after they lose on thanksgiving or something i mean it could happen whenever but that's obviously the situation at play you know grand scheme in terms of the here and now back to the game itself you know chris offensively in this game is is where the lions lost uh obviously without deandre swift this is going to be difficult like you said obviously without kenny galladay this is going to be difficult but i would also say that obviously since you never tried as a football team to install an offense that wasn't revolved around the downhill run game with, you know, an aging running back who, again, we go back to the beginning of the season and there were re- there were reasons why he was brought in here. And I thought that if you used him properly, you certainly, he could have helped your team. And he probably did to a degree, but it just, it just continued on forward and forward. And you were like, why are you still leaning on this guy in Peterson? Uh, and an offense that, you know, uses too much double tight, uses too much of the fullback, doesn't use the speed guys enough. They tried to run some of the speed stuff in this game, but obviously it hasn't been repped, and it was clunky and rusty, and my God, every flaw they have <laughs> bubbled yeah, up in this yep. game offensively. We went, I mean, we went through all of it for a story that's coming on later Monday. It's all right there. I mean, everything that everything everyone's complained about, <laughs> we saw in this game, you know, full forward ahead, and it was really couldn't have looked any worse. I think the only guy who played well on offense was Marvin Jones. I only hard, I just yeah. want to like sh- yeah. give him like, call him out because I think he. I mean, every catch he made, he got just Leveled. clobbered. Yeah, right. <laughs> he held onto the ball. So, um, but yeah, I mean, I do think it was it, the first possession of the game. They come out. Adrian Peterson gets carries on first and second down. Second mm-hmm. possession. Now you're down seven nothing. Adrian Peterson gets carries on first and second down. And at that point. You're already sort of thinking this is not going the way it needs to go. Right. Uh, and they made some adjustments. Like you said, we got that piece coming out. They came out in the second half. Carrion Johnson was in the backfield. They had four or five wide on the first two or three plays. They started to look like maybe they could figure it out. Uh, and every time they they found even something small that was working, they yeah. just shot themselves in the foot with, with the protection issues or – you know. Hawkinson didn't have a very good game blocking no. or catching the ball. Um, you know, they had the penalty on the touchdown that would have brought them back into the game, and maybe it gets interesting if that right. touchdown pass stands. So it was just, you know, they just don't have the wiggle room to make the types of mistakes that they made, and they couldn't establish anything comfortably. You know, and as I kind of vented to you on Monday morning, like Carolina, again, we just see this over and over again. Teams are just dropping safeties. Yep. They're, I mean, Carolina blitzed, and they gave the Lions a lot of trouble with their blitzes, but they weren't all-out blitzing. It wasn't like they were going cover zero and bringing seven guys. They were sending, like, four and five rushers just from different yeah. vantage points, and they're dropping two, three safeties and sort of giving up the flats and giving up parts of the middle of the field, and the Lions just couldn't find anything anywhere. For, I, I don't. It really doesn't even make sense from a spacing issue. Yeah, uh, like there should have been something available somewhere on that field. 
the third possession of the game offensively is the one that really like wanted me. I, you know, I was like, I can't watch that. <laughs> that was the one where I was like, this is like, you've got us this enough. It was so frustrating. It's the one after. I think it's the one after the fumble where they get the ball in the twenty. Okay, let you know start. It's I think it's the third. They start a drive, and they've got carry on out there. And it's one of these things that's a really interesting example of kind of the frustrating like back and forth that we see here from the Lions in terms of sometimes they'll do some things that you're like, okay, that's that's solid. Like go back to that. You like that might work, right? And then they, and then they don't. Um, and it's one where, you know, they start to drive out, they get a first down, they come back with carry-on, they run an outside zone with him, uh, and you know, which is something he can do. And you're like, okay, you know, this is trending okay. They've moved the ball. I think they're near midfield. And then they come out with too tight and the extra tackle and run inside zone on second and six. And it's zero, right? Because everyone in the world knows what you're running when you come out with the extra tackle and two tight ends, including Jesse James, who can't run. He's not fast enough to get any space open, <laughs> yeah, right. so he doesn't help you at all in terms of like spacing on the field. It doesn't fool anyone. We all know what you're doing, and Carrion's not the greatest inside zone runner in the first place. You do it anyway. It does nothing, and then you go back to third and five, and you put Carrion and Swift and uh, Agnew together on the field after we've been screaming all year. Could you please put Carrion and Swift in a game together? Well, they finally sort of do it. They fake, you know, the the sort of inside give to uh, Agnew. Carrion runs a little flare into the flat. And if Stafford can get that ball over the top of Brian Burns, that's like a 35-yard gain. But because they haven't repped it, clearly, and aren't, you know, interested in running offense like this, uh, the ball was thrown right into Brian Burns, who read it properly. And, you know, it's a bad throw uh, and a bad read. And just uh, it looked like a play that they just hadn't really nailed yet because they probably haven't spent much time on it because they're busy running, you know, uh, lead zone with the fullback. And it's an incomplete pass. It probably should have been a pick six, pick six. And you're just sitting here pulling your hair out because you're like, well, not only did you try something creative on that drive and you didn't do it because you spent too much time with the BS that you can't do. You also ran the BS that you can't do in this drive. And from there on out for the rest of the first half anyway, Carolina said, screw this. We're just going to drop seven or eight. You can't do anything. You don't have anything. Uh, and you're not going to create any space with any of these guys. You're not going to stop playing the double tight. So they just dropped into zone. And like you said, as the game went on in the second half, uh, you know, they started getting a little more a little more aggressive with the zone blitzes. And they just weren't going to give anything over the top. They were going to make Marvin Jones catch the ball in between an uh you know, in between four defenders, and they were going to do the same thing with Hawkinson. Jones was hanging in there. Hawkinson had a terrible game, and there's just no way. They have, there was no answer. They had no answer after they tried what they tried in that third possession, it felt like to me, and there was nowhere else for them to go. And defensively, because as you said, I mean, yeah, P.J. Walker gets some hits on you, and obviously there were some mistakes, you know, Okuda getting beat again. Um, but, you know, they held in there. This was a 7 nothing game at halftime. There's no reason that that should have been a 7 nothing game at halftime, and it was... And just, you know, all the things they talk about. Patricia said it after the game, right? I mean, it was literally the opposite of everything we were trying to do. <laughs> yep. I mean, sounds about right to me because it was a complete disaster. Yeah. And obviously injuries hurt that. But, like, the plan they had on offense going into this year was bad. The injuries haven't helped it. But they've certainly made it look worse. And it's even more of an indictment when we do see the rare glimpses of when they are healthy and they have talent like Swift and these guys. And you, we like the question we asked last week, where has this been? Where has he been? And you know, it's, it's maybe it's a little late to try to, to try to completely change everything you're doing. I get that part of it too, but you know, maybe you should have done that back in the, uh, back in the off season. 
So the one for me that was uh, kind of the end of my rope uh, is it was already seventeen nothing. It was late in the third quarter. They had third mm-hmm. and one, and they went to, you know, the the double tight. They brought in Matt Nelson as the extra tackle. Yeah. Peterson was in the backfield, and they actually ran play action off of it. And Hawkinson was wide open. They got thirty five yards. It was a really, I mean. I guess they've been setting it up for 10 games because they only <laughs> run out of that formation. Yeah, right. But, you know, it worked. They got a big game. They were down at the Carolina 25. And then they ran a zone read with Matthew yeah. Stafford, who's already hurt, <laughs> into uh, against a dime defense <laughs> <laughs> where there was just a safety sitting over the spot where Stafford was running. I mean, he made the right read because he yeah. pulled it. The, the end crashed down. He pulled it and he went. But... There were still two defenders sitting there, and now you're in second and 10. Agnew dropped one on the play after that, third and 10. You get sacked. You miss a few goal. I mean, it was just like a comedy of errors, play calling, execution, everything in that four-play stretch uh, that could have possibly gone wrong other than turning the ball over went wrong. And I don't – I it just – it feels like they make this so much more difficult on themselves than it yeah. needs to be with the talent that they have. Like – you don't yes. need I, I don't know. It's just it feels we've been talking about these same things over and over again and it certainly did not help Sunday that the offensive line, you know, Taylor Decker had probably his worst game of the year. Um Yeah, it wasn't great. Crosby wasn't very good on the other side. They sat down Vitai for I mean I think he just got benched. Abushi played right guard for the second half and Joe Dahl I guess is still too banged up. Uh, to be out there and Ragnow had the fumble on the the snap I mean it was bad up front and this Mm -hmm. has happened a a few times now Indianapolis did the same thing to him a few weeks ago just really bullied him up front and you know that's obviously a problem Stafford got hit 11 or 12 times and got sacked five times but it also kind of blows up your idea that you're going to be a balanced uh, offense and you know as we kind of look at all this in an overarching view as it feels like we're near the end of this regime. Like if you were to pick one word to describe why this hasn't worked, like stubbornness is the one to me. Right. Yes. <laughs> it just yes. feels like they keep hitting their head against the wall, trying to be something that they cannot be. And you see the results. Like it, it is so hard to get shut out in the NFL. Oh God. Yes. <laughs> it's almost <laughs> impossible right. with the way the rules are. And as quick as a lot of these games happen, I mean, it is so hard. The only other team's got shut out this year is the jets. And so that sort of put puts you in perspective where you're yeah, at. And the Lions are not as bad as the Jets on offense, to be clear. that's That should not happen. So, uh, yeah, and again, there just wasn't anything positive to take out of that game. I, I do think it was it was good to see them try a couple of those things that maybe will work when Swift's back in the lineup and the offensive mm-hmm. line's playing a little better. But otherwise, you know, they, they put themselves again in too many spots where it's, you know, third and seven, third and eight, third and 15. I mean, they just yeah. were not in winnable spots for a lot of that game. This felt like the best example of the year in terms of, you know, there were execution issues in this game. Obviously, there were some drops early that that hurt them. You know, Hawkinson had a drop and a missed block on back-to-back third downs that are just, like, crushing for that a guy block who... block was really a bad... Oh, that was for, a huge... Yeah, for block. a guy who was brought here as a number eight pick to literally do these things, and he's not executing them. That hurts. But more importantly, for me, this was... The strongest example I could see all season of the offense 
you know, and guys out there giving it what they could give, right? They're like you said, Stafford's running his own read because that's what he was asked to do. He scrambled on one, that's what he's asked to do. He's getting up after he's getting hit. You know, guys are trying. But this was the greatest example I thought of, you know, guys having no faith in the plan. You know, no faith in the approach, no faith in, you know, what they had relative to what was available to them in terms of, you know, the guys that were going to play. Uh, that's what that looked like. And that that sometimes I think gets conflated with guys are given up because I don't think that that was the case. But we see that a lot in football when, yeah. you know, when people will say, well, I think this team's given up. And it's like, well, you know, I really hate that. I really do. I don't like the, 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 the you know, we've seen that too. We've seen player effort over the years on teams where it's like, yeah, okay, yes, I got, you're right. You know, they gave up. They're not trying. <laughs> right. You know, that's yep. fair. But this is this was one of those examples where, you know, they're out there, they're doing everything they can, and they're just dripping with frustration because they know. They know! And they're probably being told from Carolina's players on the field, like, this is all you have? This is what you're going to do the rest of the game? Well, you might as well just go home. Like, that's what it felt like. And the and the guys on the field, you looked at their body language and you looked at how they're looking as they're walking off, it's like they knew it! They knew it! They probably knew it going into, the, going into Sunday, going into the weekend, because the plan was... Oh well, it's mostly the same. There's a couple tweaks here, but for the most part, it's exactly what we've seen. You know, them try against the Colts and some of these other teams where it was just listless. And how can you look at that plan and think at all ever that that's going to be enough for you to win? But at the same time, you you look at the injuries and who's out, and you say, well, what else are they supposed to do? I, I guess you know my answer to that is well, they were supposed to have better better answers for that back in back in August. Obviously, the pandemic hurt everything, this, that, and the other. There's a lot of things at play here. Bottom line is, is there's, it's, there's not enough. There's just not enough here. And, um, you know, they, they have to have Swift out there to have any kind of hope. They have to be able to have more speed out there. And if they don't have some of these guys available, then they have to stop playing guys like Jesse James and Jason Cabinda. I'm sure they're playing hard and doing everything they're asked. But, you know what? They don't do anything but clog up action, and there's nothing good about that. When they come on the field, it just clogs everything up. You've got to be able to lean into the guys that are faster, the guys that can move, the guys that can create space. That should have been the plan on day one. How are we going to get Jamal Agnew and Marvin Hall involved, not how are we going to get Jesse James and Jason Cabinda more involved in the offense. I don't care that you gave Jesse James all that money. That's a you problem. This is now a situation where you're trying to win and you have to figure this out. So when you look at all this stuff, it all ties back to it's a it's a mess that has uh, no one's absolved, right? And that's what we can look at and say when we go into this thing down the stretch here is that no one who is in charge of pushing the buttons and, and making the moves on this team can considerably look at all this and say, well, I did my job in the last couple of years because, you know what? I mean, that's, no, you haven't because the situation is what it is. You got first round draft picks. Uh, Jared Davis is, you know, barely playing. Jelani Tavai is, I guess he played more in this one, but whatever. Uh, you know, on and on we go. We've done this whole thing about the draft picks that are and aren't working out before. You know, there's not much left to say here uh, in terms of the current situation. I mean, and I think we've been pretty. I think you and I have been pretty uh, patient on a lot of this and tried to try to look at everything you can look at, but I just it's uh, to a point now where it's it's really almost impossible. It feels like to look and see you know a way out of this. You know if they're going to continue to do things the same exact way. Yeah, I mean Hall ha- Hall caught three passes and averaged five point three yards per catch. Agnew caught three and averaged three point three yards per catch, and that's that's right. just mind boggling to me that you could <laughs> yeah. have guys with those 
that level of explosiveness and just not be able to get them into space at all at any right. point during the game. And I think that that does go back uh, to the game plan. I think a lot of it goes back to the offensive line. I mean, I think Stafford, again, I don't know that the thumb was bothering him, but this was another game where everything just seemed way more sped up and uncomfortable than it it is mm-hmm. when he's playing at his best. And that was – I spotlighted that a couple times in that article you mentioned. It's coming out Monday. You know, this – just even when the blitzes weren't getting home and hitting him, it mm-hmm. ju- he was just freaking out a little bit. <laughs> and, yeah, uh, you know their first drive of the second half, um, they had a uh, it was either the second down play or the third down play. You know the the Panthers brought a couple guys off uh, the front side that the Lions left unblocked, and they uh, you know they had Hawkinson run a shallow crossing route, which is where he threw it. It was covered and it was incomplete. And then they had um, Marvin Jones motioned in from the, the left side mm-hmm. and ran into the middle of the field, right into the middle of the zone, threw his hand up, was just wide open. Yeah. And Stafford either didn't have time to get to him or thought he didn't have time to get to him. And so he threw one, you know, kind of into the dirt incomplete. And and that sort of thing feels like it's happening a lot where uh, just the process isn't working for the quarterback either. And, uh, you know, I think that they're – you don't want. I, there's always a danger in kind of putting too much on the QB when things mm-hmm. go bad like this. But I don't think Stafford has been playing particularly well uh, in stretches this season, and that wasn't a no. game where he elevated everyone around him. Certainly, so uh, I think, like you said, I think everyone has to share some of the blame, and and that includes him. In my mind, I don't think he had a yeah. very good game, and and they really needed him to play better than he did. And and it's tough too to see on the other side again yeah. to see a backup quarterback step in and look pretty comfortable and look like they know what they're doing around him. You should not have a better plan for PJ Walker than Mm. you have for Matthew Stafford. Yeah. That's the best way to put it. I mean, that's like the best way to put it. uh, As you look at the offense here, like Joe Brady and and Carolina sideline had a game specific plan and, and, you know, and their team makes sense because PJ Walker can do a lot of the stuff that Teddy Bridgewater can do. So Mm -hmm. when PJ Walker (laughs) has to come in, Maybe you're not changing everything, and you're saying, "Well, you know, these guys are sort of similar quarterbacks; they can do different things for us." So, but anyway, either way, let's go to the defensive side of the ball, Chris. Um, positives at all on this side? I mean, I thought I didn't think they were a nightmare. Uh, obviously, you don't want to get beat by a backup quarterback and everything else. There, I thought there were a couple things maybe here that were positive, a couple things here that weren't so much. Uh, what's your sort of? What were your thoughts? Defensively, I mean, I think we would agree that it was probably enough to win, even if even if Walker did get some hits on him. But just your kind of thoughts defensively of where things are at here, and maybe you know if there are things moving in the right direction or not uh, going forward. Yeah, I mean, I think the obvious one for me is uh, Amani Oruwariye. We've talked about him a bunch. I think he's been their best cornerback, mm-hmm. and it's it's by a significant margin, really, this year. Um, mm-hmm. The interception he made was. Just great a really play. good play. I mean, he, great read, found the quarterback's eyes, came off his initial coverage, and and jumped in front of it. And he's had a had plays like that uh, throughout the year where he he seems like he really understands what they're trying to do. And so that's the one for me. I mean, I think Everson Griffin played really well again. He only played like thirty seven percent of the snaps, but he was in the backfield pretty consistently. So you at least chalk that acquisition up as you know something that's helped you. But otherwise, I mean. 
I don't know that there's anyone else who particularly stood out to me. I think they still have, you mentioned Okuda getting burned. That's happening mm. way too much. You almost can't even play him. I mean, he's been good yeah. against the run, but you can't really trust him at all in man coverage right now. And teams have been picking on him in zone. So I don't know what you do with him in coverage until he can settle this down. Um, the pass rush other than Griffin was pretty non-existent. They blitzed a couple times uh, and kind of got Walker off his spots, but he was elusive enough to get out of trouble and I guess the run defense was okay I mean Penasini played all right again um yeah I I don't know (laughs) they held the running backs under four yards per carry Mm -hmm. like I guess if you're looking for silver linings there's a couple there on defense but overall you know that just uh, again I think like Deshaun Watson it feels like he's just gonna light this group up like it doesn't feel like they have what they need to really compete with good quarterbacks they kind of held it together against the guy making his first NFL start. Right. Uh, and so the when they zone, face yeah. these good teams and good quarterbacks, it just seems like it's going to be back to where they've been against, you know, Breeze and Rivers and all these other guys that they have to go up against. Yeah, Warrior has been a win. I think that that's, that's the best way we can say that. I mean, he's been their best corner. Uh, that looks He looks like he's trending toward, you know, exactly where you want him to be. Good value pick there. Uh, and a guy who can more than hold his own, you know, obviously Okuda's getting a lot more work because he's just been giving up so much easy stuff. Uh, but when they have tested Oraria, he's been there and held up his end of the rope pretty much every time. I thought Reggie Raglan had some good moments in this game. I think he went off with a little bit of an injury. And, you know, he was a guy that we talked about. Collins played okay, too. Um, but he's a guy who we talked about Raglan back in the offseason. We were like, why are they signing Reggie Raglan? This is a weird thing, right? You know, are they giving up on other guys? Well, you know what? I think we've seen why they're signing Reggie Raglan because he's a guy that regardless of anything that happens, goes out there and plays a thousand miles an hour as hard as he can and doesn't let anybody dog it or fall apart or fall asleep. And the Lions defensively have been better about that this year. And I don't think we talk about that enough. I think Raglan's, uh, you know, a guy that I would look at and say, He's given them an ability, or he's given them, and he's probably not alone, but he's the type of guy who's given them that, you know, we're not going to just, you know, drop the rope on the floor here and pout and cry and whine and let this thing fall apart. I think he's played hard, and I think he should, you know, be noticed on that. But, yeah, I mean, there's still too many issues. I mean, Okuda's given up, it seems like, every game now, almost, it feels like anyway, he's giving up something that's directly leading to points. Either either it's a touchdown pass or it's the, a field flipper or a huge play on like third and something where he's getting lost in zone or getting beat at the line of scrimmage and in press man or getting beat at the line of scrimmage when he's asked to get a jam on somebody. I mean, it's, it's too much. It's just, everything seems like it's too much for him. It's just, right now, you know, he's either in his own head, panics too much. He's, he's losing his ability to stay sort of mentally focused in the noise and block out all the things that are causing him problems. And, you know, a lot of that's on a rookie and a lot of that's first year stuff pandemic everything else but like you said i mean chris it's getting it's getting concerning that it's not that it's repeating you know what i mean because he is like you said he is active in the run game he did he made a great play mm-hmm. coming up and making a stick on on uh it might have been a tfl on a play that he read from the back end so he's been outstanding in that area so he's getting that part but he's still getting beat with some of the tricks uh that these nfl receivers have for him in coverage and it's not a it's not a matter of them not giving him help because there's times where he's getting lost in zone too, and it's uh, the coverage piece. I mean, it, it feels like Okuda needs to ha- get the off season here as fast as possible, have the ability to work with people in person, uh, and sort of take this thing apart, put everything on the floor, and sort of look at it all and see what he can do going forward. Because there's got to there's so much 
he should be able to take from this and learn this year because there's just been so many mistakes uh, all over the place in coverage. Yeah, I think that's an important point. You know, it's it's easy to kind of criticize him, and I've certainly criticized him. But, yeah, he, yeah I mean, this was – we knew what the challenges were going to be at that position in this offseason when there was no, you know, no offseason really. I mean, it just went straight into camp, no preseason, um, kind of in a rotation at the cornerback spot. We knew how tough this was going to be. And so I think even looking at the Aura Warrior progress, you kind of see what it could be in a year if he can get this to slow down for him. Uh, I mean, I do wonder as as we kind of spin everything forward, is there like as you're looking at this plan on that side of the ball or uh, at the staff? I mean, oh, is there yeah. anything worth like is Corey Unlin a guy that you're looking at bringing back next year because you've seen enough from him or any you know do you want to make sure that defensive back Steve Gregory's back as defensive backs coach because he's worked with Okuda and Oruwariye and Walker? I mean, is there anything? that you think needs to stay in place for next season? I mean, I it's interesting because Unlin is so hard to judge um, and because there are times when I'm like, you know what, the Lions feel like they've tried more this year defensively. Like they've, you know what I mean? Does that make sense? Like I feel mm-hmm. like they've, they've tried to come up with more solutions and yeah. I can't, I can't. We can't just sit here and say that's all Matt Patricia. We don't know. Maybe it is, but I mean, like, we can't ignore the fact that Corey Unlin wasn't here last year, and that certainly wasn't the case with Pascaloni in here. They just kept doing the same thing over and over again, and it never worked. So in this case, you know, it does seem like they're trying more, and maybe that's Corey Unlin's impact and forcing Patricia to, you know, say, okay, well, let's try different things while maybe not being so overwhelming that we're, you know, frying everyone's brain, but let's, you know, focus on a couple things and maybe be different as we go forward. I think that's been positive. And I think the big, the main thing, the reason why he was hired and it made sense at the time was, you know, his reputation as a, as a teacher on the back end, especially, uh, it came with him. I mean, you know, you talk to guys that played with him or played for him before and they'll all tell Malcolm Jenkins, he couldn't, Stop talking. I couldn't get him off the phone when I talked to him about how great <laughs> he helped his career and how he right. extended it and how he did that for other guys and he watched him do it. Um, you know, and so that is interesting in terms of your developmental situation, you know. But at the same time, I say that, I ask, you know, have has there been enough have we seen enough in terms of like, you know, yeah, Warriors made some really nice progress, but Tracy Walker hasn't. And Okuda's a rookie, but you know, I mean, are you trusting everything going forward in a you know, with anybody on the staff in terms of development, and everything else, I don't know. You know, that's that's a hard question, and that's one that would certainly be something you'd have to look at down the line. But you know, when you pull the hood back on that, I think that's. Something, but you know, there's also things in this defense that you say, you know, it's just not. You know, I mean, some guys have been hurt. I know that. And maybe maybe a guy like Trufant, who's been you know pretty bad all year. I mean, maybe he's had injuries he's been dealing with that we haven't you know noticed or whatever. But you know, none of the answers on the back end have really been enough. I guess I'll say. And, you know, other than Awarie really making a big leap, but, you know, but I would also say we could point to the end of last season and we saw some of that coming mm-hmm. from Awarie. Yep. And, you know, I think that that's the stuff that we'd, we, you would like to see that, you know, if Okuda has a really good December, I think you could start making maybe some of those cases, but I think we would need to see him have a good December uh, before we could look into any of that. Yeah. And I think that's obviously they, we've talked about this uh, kind of, you know, quote unquote, easier stretch of the schedule that they're yeah. not taking advantage of. I think it also is worth mentioning again that after this Thanksgiving game against Houston, which I don't know that they match up particularly well with defensively, they've got the Bears who they've struggled against, and then the just a gauntlet last four uh-huh. weeks yeah, with God. the Packers, Vikings, 
uh, Titans and Bucks, not in that order, but those are the four teams that they're playing. And uh, I just, I mean, there's a possibility. Nobody got their hopes up. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, even if they're on the fence with some of this coaching staff or with the coaching staff and GM as a whole, I have a feeling we may not have hit the end of the downslide here. Like, it doesn't feel like they're about to go uh, four and two down the stretch. I mean, I think this is going to be. Uh, a problematic yeah, last month of the season, even if they get a win on Thanksgiving, even if they get to six and six with a win on Thanksgiving and then go to Chicago and win. I just don't see mm-hmm. any way of sustaining it the way this team's playing right now. So, uh, yeah, I, it, it's tough. It's tough to be in this spot. I understand why fans are so, so frustrated mm-hmm. because it just – you keep waiting for them to turn the corner, and you could almost convince yourself a couple times this year, especially yeah. – yeah. With DeAndre Swift in the lineup, like maybe this, maybe there's something here. Maybe we can figure this out and get going and rip off three in a row and just see where it, it lands. Yeah. And we're kind of beyond that point now. <laughs> I mean, the the high water mark would be like like if they got to seven and nine, that would feel like a pretty good finish. And I just yeah, right. that's not progress. That's not enough progress for me. Yeah, it's been a weird year. Like, there's, there, there's, the injuries have, have really complicated everything. Galladay, obviously, and his contract situation probably doesn't help. Um, but it was a weird year because you know the season started and we watched him in camp and you said, okay, well, I mean, if nothing else, and I'm trying to look, let's look back to August and you say, if nothing else, they have some guys on offense that are kind of electric. You know, they had some. You know, we could go back and watch and say, Galladay looks like a star, is a star. You know, Swift looked great. Um, Agnew was so much better as a receiver than I ever thought he would be in terms of a position switch to a point where I was like, why were you ever playing him on deep? What were you doing otherwise? (laughs) But whatever. Marvin Hall looked so much better, you know, all this stuff. And then you said to yourself in the back of your mind, is it going to matter though? Because I see Jason Cabinda out here playing fullback and I see Jesse James out here constantly. Is this what they're going to, you know... And that's what they tried to do, and it was just like, well, you know, you, you, you didn't change. You just continued forward with the same stuff um, with a different coat of paint. I don't even know if I would call it fresh, but a different coat of paint on defense. And in some ways, the, the moves they've made defensively, I I mean, they've been bad, and they've had some bad days, but it hasn't been as abhorrent, I don't think, as it, it was last year at times uh, for longer stretches. Uh, they've fought harder. They've scrapped harder. They and a lot of that on defenses. That's what it is. It's just like we said earlier, Raglan coming in and just being a guy who just refuses to give up his spot. You know, is not going to get blocked on a play because he's just chose not to. Right, like that. Some yeah. of that stuff. Uh, you, need, has been better. you need guys like Raglan right. and Griffin for sure. Yeah, like right. I think that's why that's helped settle it a little bit. You just need those guys who are going to just pick everyone up, especially when there's no crowd and exactly. there's no Harmon. Yeah. Yeah. Right. But it's been a mirage, you know, and it's been it's right. it's not been enough to cover up everything else. Yeah, it's um. Now I've lost my train of thought. <laughs> I, it's too much. Yeah, uh, right. There's too much happening. I, I just yeah. I mean, I, I think I I agree. It's just um. There just isn't enough uh, it, with the injuries. That that's where I was going. I found yeah, it again. Yeah, yeah. All right, I'm back on it. We're 55 <laughs> minutes into this. I, I'm sorry. I'm cash turning into year. Thanksgiving mode. Um, right. <laughs> so I think with the injuries. Last year and this year, you could chalk a lot of problems up to the injuries. You're losing key guys over and over again. It's kind of bad luck to some extent. But I think the other argument to be made there is those injuries kind of expose your underlying problems. Oh, yeah. Big time. Uh, You take a handful of guys out of the lineup, 
and suddenly, you know, you just cannot run your system anymore and you don't have the depth to plug those gaps and you sort of see what's behind the coat of paint. Like there's just all these structural issues that you can't cover up anymore because you lose Swift and Galladay and Trey Flowers and everything just kind of goes to hell. And mm-hmm. I think that that speaks to where they're at as an organization, which is just it's been good to find some of those impact players for yeah, sure. Yeah. And you want, and you need to have those guys, even no matter who the coach and GM are next year, you want to have those guys around, but mm-hmm. you know, you can't be so um, reliant on five or six guys staying healthy for an entire 16 games, because that's just not how the NFL works. So you have to have enough in place. So if you take a guy out of the lineup for one game, like you lose DeAndre Swift for a game yeah. against a bad Carolina defense, you still need to have enough in place, uh, schematically at least, to be able to keep it functioning. And they just have not been able to do that. And to me, that goes back to coaching. That goes back to roster building. It goes back to all the problems we've been talking about all year. Yeah, no no other way to say it at this point. Um, yeah, losing Swift, you should have enough to not get shut out. I think we can end it. <laughs> we should end it at that <laughs> on this yeah. one. Uh, in any event, obviously, short week for the Lions. They'll be back on Thursday to host uh, the Texans in the Thanksgiving game. Chris, will there be a halftime show in silence uh, Thursday? I don't think or? so. As far as I know, I've asked several times. I don't think there is one unless I think they might just like replay one of the old ones on the oh, scoreboard. God. I hope I they do know. that. That'd be perfect. That would be a perfect Yeah. <laughs> so it'll be weird, obviously. A weird Thanksgiving day for a lot of people. I know that. Um, but hopefully there will be something about Thursday that can give everyone something to smile about one way or the other. Uh, we hope everyone has a safe uh, first and foremost holiday and, and a happy and healthy one as well. Uh, but for that, we'll get out of here and we'll come back and uh, sort it all out whenever whenever it needs to be sorted out. Uh, for Chris, I am Nick. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you guys later.